Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Are you looking to wager on all the big games in sports? Well, I have great news for you. Our partners at Bet Online they continue to get it done as the number one betting source for you. NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, we have golf, horse racing, and everything heating up this Major League Baseball season as well. You'll get latest odds, team matchups, and game trends at Bet Online. Just log on today to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to get started. But listen up. Make sure you use our promo code BELIEVE to get started. That's B-L-E-A-V to get your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline.ag or your mobile device. BetOnline. Get started today. BetOnline is where the game starts. You know, it is that time of year in sports where it is all heating up, not just the weather, but the events. We're coming off the NFL draft. We have MLB. We've got the NHL and NBA playoffs. How about horse racing's Triple Crown and the PGA Championship, just to name some of the major sporting events we'll see in the next few months and have seen the last several weeks. Every event presents opportunities for inspiration and controversy, as well as new heroes and comeback stories. Ever wonder how to get into sports journalism? Well, I started my career at St. Bonaventure University. I attended their campus long before online degrees were a thing. But with their online Master of Arts in Sports Journalism, you'll learn how to find and talk about the most compelling stories, no matter the sport all from the comfort of home. An advisory committee of journalism school alums shape this innovative program. Courses are taught by experienced professors and include master classes led by industry experts. As an SBU graduate, you join a network of fellow Bonnies, including the New York Post's Mike Beccaro and ESPN's Raina Banks. The online Master of Arts in Sports Journalism builds strong skills and ethical foundations for successful careers. Coursework emphasizes the importance of multimedia reporting and incisive storytelling. Program graduates are prepared to tell stories at the intersection of sports, gender, and race. Take the next step in your sports journalism career by contacting an enrollment advisor at sbujournalism.com. Hi, this is Jay Billis of ESPN, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter. ML Sports Platter, back with you all over the major platforms. Appreciate the shares, likes, listens, and more. Make sure you download and subscribe to the show. You'll get old and new episodes of the podcast with guests including our friend Bob Costas, Eric Wood, Baseball Hall of Famers, and more here on the ML Sports Platter brought to you by CH Insurance, Stanley Law Offices, Welch and Company Jewelers, and our great pals over at the Vince Aguirre Consulting Group. Become a better leader both personally and professionally with the Vince Aguirre Consulting Group. Find out more at vcgtransforms.com. You can take classes right online. Scott crushes it. He's a good friend of mine, known him for a long time. And look, the leadership part, there's nobody who knows leadership better than Scott Vinciguerra. So log on today to vcgtransforms.com, a proud ML Sports Platter sponsor, and a huge tip of the cap thank you as well to friends of the program, the Swan family, Whitaker family, Alonzo family, Bob Lindsley, and Daryl Aber. Okay, let's have a look back at the PGA Championship at Oak Hill as we get set for, you know, the U.S. Open here uh, this week out in California. Um, there, there's so many storylines to talk about when you get done with, um, you know, a major championship and all the rest. The The first thing is I just want to kind of get into the course a little bit and my experience with it. I've covered the last three PGA Championships. 2003, I was there multiple days. 2013 was there multiple days. Uh, and then this year, unfortunately, was only able to go on Friday. Uh, but but it worked out for my schedule. It worked out, um, you know, with life and, and work and uh, everything going on. I went out there and covered it just on Friday. 
Um, weekend golf for majors isn't quite um, fun. Uh, you know, there's so many people, it's hard to see. In fact, if you if you talk to media people who have to really, really cover it more than I do, um, I, you know, I know for a fact, I mean, they don't, they don't walk the course. They basically are in the media center the entire day. They have their own kind of seated area, you know, a designated desk area, and they just pound on the laptop and they have two huge monitors and, and they're just watching the golf and writing and covering it. Um, you know, radio people are parked right in, you know, cubicles. They don't move. Um, and then, you know, you go out a little bit to, you know, maybe the interview area and then you go back to the media center and that's cool. I don't personally like to do that. If, if, you know, I have my choice though, they don't have their choice. I like to go see it. I like to, you know, the sights and sounds. I'm a golfer myself. I want to hear a roar of a gallery. I want to hear the sound of the driver and the absurdity uh, to which they hit the ball with those drivers. I want to be up close by the greens. I want to feel the rough. I want to drop my keys in the rough and watch them sink into it, imagining how brutal it must be to hit a golf ball out of there, right? Like those are the things I need to experience the grounds as much as the other stuff. And I did that quite a bit on Friday. The only thing I didn't do was I didn't get to the fifth and sixth holes, which I really, really wanted to get there because I've also played the golf course, but I played it, you know, I think what, over a decade ago and number five and six are completely different. They are absolutely completely different. Number six is now one of the hardest holes in the world and it's the old five. So what they did was they took the old five, they lengthened the hell out of it made it so difficult with rough and placement and green uh, positioning and, and, and everything. Number six is a beast. And you saw it at Oak Hill where so many guys struggled. So they pull number six entirely, which is a par three. And if you remember back, you know, at the U.S. Open, uh, what was it, some, you know, 30 years ago at Oak Hill, there were all those hole-in-ones. So that hole doesn't exist anymore. They made the old five into the new six with wicked length, wicked difficulty, and then they built a brand new par three, um, you know, for number five. And so that's kind of where, where we're at with those two holes. Didn't get a chance to do it. Uh, some of my favorite features of the golf course, so I love number one and 14, you know, sharing a tee box. I think that's just awesome. Um, you know, one goes down. It's just a spectacular starting hole. And then 14 goes in the other. It goes to the right. And it's a hole that you can drive. Um, you know, I saw VJ Singh in 2003 hit a bomb up over the trees and, and get up close to the green. Those trees up along that upper right side are no longer there, by the way. Um, so that's, that's another, you know, change to Oak Hill. Uh, it still looks like Oak Hill. The clubhouse is the same. The course, you look out, the layout, you know, you're on one end looking to the other. You can still see great views of the West course from the East, um, you know, the media said all of it mostly is the same, but they did make a lot of changes within that look. And, uh, the changes are, are amazing. I think, um, I've heard from a lot of people on social media. There are a lot of people who think, and fans, a lot of fans don't know what they're talking about, <clears throat> but a lot of fans seem to think that, you know, these guys didn't like, uh, Oak Hill and they didn't like Rochester and you're full of it. If you think that, okay, go listen to the golfers. <clears throat> they raved about the condition of the course. They raved about, you know, the history of it. They raved about, uh, pretty much everything. They raved about the area, the fans, um, you know, Bill's mafia, Josh Allen, the support, um, all of it, you know, they, they, they raved about it. 
and it was an amazing, amazing, amazing tournament. Brooks Kepka won it. I'm going to get to him in a second because there's tons to get to, but I'm going to start with Michael Block. This is why golf is so special. Now, I know that there are other stories of Cinderella guys doing things out of nowhere, right? A couple years ago, Randy Rosarina, right? He was a no-name guy, incredibly low draft pick, and the Cardinals basically gave him away for a cup of coffee, and he turns into a postseason star, and he has a slowed-down sense. He's a great player. Great player. He's arguably the best player on the Tampa Bay Rays, right? Wander Franco and him probably are the two best. We see it a lot. There's unsung heroes. There's unsung players and people and stories and all that. I get it. But golf has a different feel to it from an everyday man's perspective. In other words, baseball. You can see that story of Randy Rosarina, but I can't hit a 95 mile an hour fastball. There's just, it's, there's no way. I would never hit it. You could throw 1,000 of them down the middle. I'm not going to hit it probably once. Maybe I get contact on it, but what does it do? Break my hands? Not going to do it. I'm an everyday guy, like many of you. Everyday gals can't do that, right? Football. I can't tackle Josh Allen. <laughs> you know? I'm not going to survive a TJ Watt hit. <laughs> you know? Basketball. I can't guard LeBron James. Right? Hockey. I can't even skate. And even if I could, I can't keep up with Connor McDavid. I can't be a goalie and save a shot of his. But in golf, while I can't shoot nine under at Oak Hill for the tournament, while I can't hit, you know, 335-yard bombs, while I can't hit balls flawlessly out of the rough, I play golf. I wish I could play more. But there are a couple things that I have done that these guys have done. So have you. And it's really cool. In other words, Michael Block, a PGA professional from the West Coast, he got a hole-in-one on number 15 at Oak Hill on the final day. CBS, you should be ashamed of yourselves for all the hype, all the craziness leading up to it, and then disappearing from Michael Block's round. And then, oh, by the way, you missed the freaking ace, to which Jim Nance had to come back and go, oh, this was just a few seconds ago. Yeah, well, you missed it, okay? You missed it. Michael Block's hole-in-one was put on basically tape delay, okay? Like the NBA before Magic and Bird, right? And that's inex you know inexcusable. However, I will say that Michael Block's hole-in-one on that course and the difficulty of that course is like me getting one on a par three uphill blind shot on a private golf course that has a very, very tough green. That's the equivalent for me in my game. The equivalent is Michael Black doing it. Or an upper, upper player, a Justin Rose, a Rory, right? A Scotty Scheffler, a Bryson DeChambeau, a Hovland, right? A John Rahm a Brooks Kepka getting a hole-in-one. I have two hole-in-ones. Michael Block now has a hole-in-one. I think he said that was his first. That can't happen in any other sport. <laughs> you know, I can't return Roger Federer's serve. But I can get a hole-in-one on a course that for me and my skill set and how good I am at the game is equal to getting a hole-in-one for 
tremendous players, and Block is a tremendous player, even though he's a PGA professional. I understand he's not Rory or Brooks or whoever, but he's still a really, really good player, and you saw that at Oak Hill. Like, that happened to him there, and that's very similar with his skill set and how he plays the game and the difficulty, right, the degree of difficulty and all the rest compared to my game on a course for the everyman. John Daly's won two major championships. He hasn't taken care of himself his entire life. If he took care of himself, would he have more? I don't know. But John Daly also warmed the hearts of all of us because he's an everyday dude. Hey, I'm along the golf course. I want to play golf. I want to have a beer. I want to smoke a cigarette. Okay, I don't smoke cigarettes, but you get the point. Like, that's an everyman thing. Everyday guy, right? So I love that about golf. I've always loved that about golf. And it was so easy to root for this guy. He was emotional. He was appreciative. He's a terrific human being. You can just tell it. And, you know, him getting the call shortly after to play in the next week's tournament and, you know, the video that his son took at their at their golf club in California, all that stuff, you know, everything brought tears to his eyes. The interviews afterwards, living the dream, and he really meant it, um, you know, losing his mind when he found out he was going to play with Rory and finishing at plus one. I mean, my gosh, the guy went even par, even par, even par one over. Good grief. And I, I read some idiot on social media too, like, oh, he didn't really accomplish that. He's a PGA professional, man. He's a teacher. Sure, he plays, but do you know how much these guys don't play? I think that's the funny thing. People don't realize PGA professionals don't ever play compared to the robotic nature of uh, a PGA professional, a uh, PGA a tour player, excuse me. You know, those guys are hitting 30, 40,000 balls a week minimum. And when you work in a golf course, when you're a PGA professional, you don't play a lot. You don't play. You might hit balls like for an hour on a Monday, but if you're a PGA pro and you're like constantly teaching, you got like seven, eight lessons all day. You're not going to go play around after that. You're freaking exhausted. And you might not really have time for it anyway. I mean, if you're teaching 30, 40 lessons a week, you're not playing 10 rounds during that, you know, or, or, or five rounds that week, three rounds that week. You might practice, you might hit some balls, maybe play once every couple, like every week or once every couple weeks, but you don't play that much. Now, having said that, the swing doesn't leave you because you're so good and you still have the grip and the feel and you're practicing and all that, but you get the point. Michael Block is not playing golf rounds and practicing to the tune of a Brooks Kepka, right? So that was just an amazing thing to watch. Michael Block is a class act. I'm super happy for him. I hope we hear from him a ton in future uh, tournaments and, and years and all the rest. And obviously, <clears throat> you know, finishing top 15 was a big, big deal because he qualified for Valhalla next year in the PGA um, and wouldn't up and down on 18. I mean, Jim Nance said it best that it was one of the best up and downs you will ever see. Um, you know, in the history of golf, if we ever had a PGA professional teeing off on 18 at one of the most historic, challenging courses in the world, forget about the domestic side, forget about New York State, it's one of the hardest courses in the world. Scotty Scheffler said number six is the hardest hole he's ever played. Oak Hill's rough is terrifying. It actually sets up more for a U.S. Open. I'm surprised that Oak Hill has not tried to go for a U.S. Open more than a PGA. You know, 03-13-23. Okay, maybe next time it's a U.S. Open. Because let me tell you, Oak Hill's a lot more like Shinnecock. It's a lot more like Beth Page Black than it is a PGA championship, really. And I know that they've been making a lot of the PGAs like U.S. Opens, a lot of the U.S. Opens like the old PGAs. I get that. However, I think that Oak Hill sets up more as a U.S. Open. I don't think there's any doubt about it. 
And with the rough, the difficulty, the bunkers, the changes, everything going on, that's what I see. And I think one other thing that's really, really important to realize is I just don't really think that we've seen somebody with that kind of pressure as just a PGA professional, right? Not a, not a PGA Tour player. Buddy, top 15, you have to make, you have to make a par to finish in the top 15, okay, in order to qualify for Valhalla next year. And he pulled one to the left, right? And he gets just a ridiculous up and down with the entire final major gallery all around him, screaming his name up until the point where he hits the ball. Everybody is all over you. I don't know how those guys do it with hitting the ball you know, so close to the galleries and all the rest. But he did it. He hits it up. Two putts down. Well, actually, the, you know, he had to. He, he got into a position where I think it was like a four or five footer. And then he just drained it. Under all the pressure in the world. He misses that putt. He doesn't go to Valhalla. One of the greatest up and downs in the history of golf. History of golf. Amazing. So Michael Block, to me, was the story. And he probably won the PGA in terms of stories. But the actual winner was Brooks Kepka. And Brooks Kepka continues to be nails and an assassin during major championship golf. I'm going to get to him. I'm going to get to some other things from Oak Hill as we look back at the 2023 PGA Championship. Gosh, what a tournament it was. Brooks Kepka wins it. I'm going to break down more next on the ML Sports Platter, brought to you by Burn Dairy and Stanley Law Offices. ML Sports Take Back with you all over the major platforms. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. We are brought to you by CH Insurance. Bowers & Company CPAs, our great friend Brian Conboy of Mass Mutual New York State, and Chick-fil-A of Cicero & Clay. Make sure you hit up Chick-fil-A for those tenders, waffle fries, heck of a lot more, plus breakfast. Amazing place to go eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They will cater your business lunch as well at Chick-fil-A of Cicero & Clay, a proud ML Sports Platter sponsor. So Brooks Kepka is just absolutely out of his mind. Major championship golf. First things first, he was healthy, right? I mean, he went through so much with the injury, uh, you know, the knees, the lower body, all that sort of thing, but he was healthy, you know, and he, he credited his caddy for being with him the whole way. And he really, really, really um, was probably as healthy as we've seen him since 2000 and, um, you know, 19 when he won the PGA. Um, you know, you think back to 2017 when he won the uh, U.S. Open, and then he won the PGA Championship in 2018. And then he comes back and wins the U.S. Open in 2018. So, I mean, he, he, won the, he won the U.S. Open and then he won the U.S. Open in 2017. And then he wins the U.S. Open again in 2018. And then he wins the PGA Championship in 2018. And then he wins the PGA Championship again in 2019. And oh, by the way, those courses... Bellarive in Missouri in 2018. 2019 was Bethpage Black. Obviously, Oak Hill 2023. 2017 U.S. Open was at Aaron Hills. And then Shinnecock in 2018. I mean, you're talking about three of the five wins on monster, monster golf courses. Long, hard, brutal bunker play. Wicked long rough. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. 
and he was healthy. He was a monster during those years. But then had a bunch of setbacks, had the surgery. Credit his caddy. This guy already has five majors, okay? It's Woods, it's Nicholas, and it's Kepka. as far as guys who have won three PGA Championships or more in the stroke play era. He is also the 20th golfer all time to win at least five majors. Wowzers. There's 20 players, 20 in the history of the game. Hundreds of thousands of golfers have walked the fairways. Only 20 have five or more majors. And we're going to have to start talking about this guy um, in the real annals of golf history. Because you know who else has five majors? Seve Ballesteros, Peter Thompson, Byron Nelson, John Henry Taylor, James Braid. Then when you get to six, it's Mickelson, Baldo, Trevino, Lee Trevino, Arnold Palmer, Sneed and Sarazen, and Bobby Jones and Harry Varden have seven. Tom Watson has eight. Gary Player and Hogan have nine. Hagen with 11, Woods with 15. The Golden Bear, Jack Nicholas sits at the top with, with 18. I mean, how many can Brooks Kepka win? He's in the prime of his golfing career. A lot of people think that the prime is now kind of like your early 20s because people are coming up so early. I would venture to say it's more of late 20s, early 30s because I think your game grows, your body grows, you grow with experience. I think it's more of like mid to upper 20s, I guess, if I had to pick one. <clears throat> but I'm all good with early 30s too because you can go on tour and you play 10 years. You know, look at Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth, a lot of people said he was in his prime when he was winning majors. Now people say he's not in his prime and maybe he will be in his prime again. Well, maybe it's just early 30s still or late 20s, right? So big time, big time performance from Brooks Kepka. Um, he's got five majors. I think he's good for, again, I know how hard it is. Trust me, I really do. Um, but he is in position right now to just win a bunch of tournaments, win a bunch of majors. I know he's on the live golf scene. I know that rubs people the wrong way. Some of some people the wrong way. Um, I don't love live. I don't hate live. I hated it when it came out. I understand there's a lot of the blood money and all the rest. I think the blood money that the Saudis are giving the players just to play and then the winnings and all that, it's a lot different than the PGA Tour Saudi money that people kind of want to defend live with. Being like, well, they get the money that way too. And did it. Well, not quite because the Saudi money that comes in, it's kind of a shared sponsorship. They use it for a lot of the courses, a lot of different things to pay players evenly. It's kind of spread out quite a bit where Saudi, you know, they're just coming at somebody going, here's a hundred million bucks. Boom. It, it, that's not how it works with the PGA tour. They don't walk up and just hand bags full of money, blood money, duffel bags of money. Saudi companies, they're sponsoring some things in the PGA. And then that money is dispersed in a lot of different categories. So there is a little bit of difference of how the Saudi money is dispersed live versus PGA. However, some of the live stuff has been good for the PGA Tour. I mean, the guys who did not defect and go into live, what have they gotten? Well, they've gotten they've gotten bigger purses. They've gotten treated better. They've gotten uh, a lot of different things because of live. So uh, from that standpoint, I suppose it's good for the PGA Tour. Uh, I really don't care about these guys who play live playing in majors. Uh, most of live, if not all, is an exhibition, and most of the tournaments on the PGA Tour are exhibitions. Um, the majors are not. The majors are real deal Holyfield, obviously. Kepka has talked a, a long time about how those are way more important than any other tournament. He got criticized for it. I laughed at that because he's telling the truth. Why wouldn't Oak Hill and the PGA be more important than the Charles Schwab? Come on. Um, and then you have the players. You have the Tour Championship and a couple other tournaments. But other than that, as Hank Haney says, like a lot of them are just exhibitions as well. They count. You get paid, this and that. But they're not majors. They're not the players. They're not the Tour Championship. They're not a lot of things. 
Uh, Live is way more even exhibition-wise than PGA Tour, but it's a developing, competing league. So Kepka, amazing. Nails, he's an assassin. He's cool as a cucumber. He doesn't really ever show emotion one way or the other. Even when he wins, and he the final putt on 18, he just does the easy fist thing and just like big bear hugs. Like that, 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 That's really like emotion. He's not throwing his putter up in the air. He's not doing the Phil Mickelson thing when he won his first major at the Masters. He's not going banana lane. He's not rolling around on the ground. He's not taking his shirt off. He, there's not tons and tons and tons and tons of emotion, and frankly, I think that helps him. You know, he's got the poker face. He misses a birdie putt. He comes right back and gets a birdie and stuffs it in your face. The guy is freaking tough. Tough, tough, tough. And you know what? We weren't sure, right? In the beginning, we weren't really sure. Kind of like, eh. You know, he went out. He shot two over on the front nine on day one. Uh, you know, had a bogey on 12. You know, had the birdie on 14 to kind of save him. <clears throat> but he finished with the 72. You're like, okay, yeah. You know, still like my chances. I mean, I picked the guy. Then he goes for a 66 in round two. You're like, okay. Shot even par on the front. Then he goes on the back. Birdie, bogey, birdie, bogey, birdie. Par, par, birdie, par, birdie, birdie. You're like, okay, here he's here it comes, right? Then round three, moving day. Another whole home 66, you know? Birdie's on four and five, par six. I mean, went par, 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 birdie, birdie, par, bogey, par, par. And then just simply par, par, birdie, birdie, par, 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 birdie, par. Yeah, whole hum 32 on the back, 66 again. Then around four, he goes for a 67. <clears throat> His key moments, I thought, round two into round three, confidence round three and round four. And then when it's round four, Victor Hovland pushing him, Scotty Scheffler pushing him, putts here, putts there, whatever. There were two huge moments in round four. Huge. Number one was 11, just to be able to even get the bogey there, big time. The response with the birdie on 12, huge. Right? Because he went birdie, bogey, birdie on the back to start that back nine on the final day. Then he goes par birdie. Knows he probably gave one away on 13. As hard as 13 is, what, 623-yard par five? Um, you know, again, got to be straight and long. Second shot got to be straight and long. But you got to really shape it because you don't want to be up too far because you got to be below the hole because that is treacherous coming down whether you're in the rough or putting on the green, right? Maybe let one go there a little bit. Comes right back with a birdie. Right back on the par three, right? Right back, or the par four. <clears throat> birdie's 15, excuse me, par's 15, birdie's 16 with an amazing tee shot and a great putt. Bogey's 17, and then 18, voila. 14 was absurd. Gets out the driver, hits an absolute missile up to the left side, and proceeds to be just off the green, Misses the eagle putt, couple feet par, a uh, couple feet putt for birdie to avoid the par. Gets that one, and that was kind of like a kind of like a slap at Hoblin. Like, dude, I, I'm not going anywhere, and I'm winning this thing. <clears throat> you know, Hoblin obviously devastating with the double bogey on 16 that he got. That really did him in in the tournament. And on 16, it was just a, uh, it was a, it was, it was a birdie for Kepka. That swing of holes, 14, 15, 16. Was really it. And I know Kepka bogeyed 70, but I thought the tournament was at hand uh, at that particular point. You know, Hovland also birdied 13. He also birdied 14. Kepka went par birdie. And then they both parred 15. But then that double where Kepka got a birdie, I mean, that was, I mean, that's a three shot swing. You know, th th that four hole swing, 13, 14, 15, 16, was where Kepka really was able to put away 
Victor Hovland. And frankly, Hovland is going to win a major. I mean, the Norwegian is so good. His ball striking is amazing. Um, I'm, and, and I'm just going to go through a couple of the other players in terms of what I, a, a quick thought on what I saw and a quick reason why they didn't win. Um, Scotty Scheffler played as well a tournament as you can. I just thought Kepka was just a couple strokes better. That's it, really. I mean, Scheffler hung in. Even when he made errors, he rebounded fine. It was just Kepka was two strokes better. I mean, there's nothing really you can say with Scheffler. Uh, DeChambeau, a little too inconsistent, um, you know, during rounds three and four, uh, really in all facets. Uh, but he was right there for the majority of it. Finished minus minus three. Um, Kitayama kind of came on late. Uh, Cam Davis, um, you know, played well, but not well enough. Same thing there with Kitayama. I thought Rory at minus two, um, you know, and, and, and he's such a professional and such a uh, a man of the people and, and, and such a humble dude and, and a great player. Um, amazing story for you listeners out there. Um, I ran into my sophomore year roommate at St. Bonaventure. I haven't seen him in about 16, 17 years. And I saw his brother for the first time in 21 years since graduation. I hadn't seen him since 2002. Was really hoping to see the whole family, but uh, missed out on it. But at least I got to see those two guys. And um, Rory's wife is best friends with um, my sophomore year Bonaventure roommate's brother's um, uh, wife. So pretty cool there. So my Bonaventure, just to repeat, my Bonaventure, my Bonaventure roommate's sister-in-law is best friends with Rory's wife. Uh, Rory's wife, as you know, is from Rochester. But I thought Rory missed a lot of putts. Now look, what I love of his game, duh. But he just, he missed a lot of putts, especially on the final day. I thought that did him in. Justin Rose, kind of like ascended, then descended, ascended, then descended, kind of inconsistency there. And then everybody else was just kind of around, but you never really felt like they were going to win it. Uh, Shane Lowry being in that group, Victor Perez, Eric Cole, um, you know, Mike, Michael Block, as I mentioned, he was right there too to, 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 to maybe contend and win it, which would have been absolutely, would have been the most ridiculous story in golf history. Um, I mean, you could put it right up there with Hogan and his recovery and Tiger winning in 2019. Those three would have been the top three stories in the history of the, of the game. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, and then you had, uh, Sepp Straka, Sepp Straka, who played, you know, decent golf as well, but just not enough. Um, Shane Lowry, same thing. Corey Connors, uh, you know, went 67, 68, 70 and entered the final round, um, at, uh, five under par, but he shot five over in the final round and ended up even tied for 12th. However, thought it was still a great tournament for Connors because, you know, you know, playing that championship golf and, and, and getting even more experience and going up against the big boys. He's a really, really good player, sound player. And I think he's going to be heard from in the coming years. Um, he is a smooth hitter of the ball. That's the one word that I can come up with. When he hits tee shots, he just goes banana land. He is a tremendous, tremendous ball striker. And again, I think we're going to hear from him on down the line. As far as everybody else, I mean, Xander Shoffley, Patrick Reed, a lot of bunch of guys, you know, a couple couple strokes over par. Wasn't meant to be for a lot of those guys. Colin Morikawa struggled big time uh, in round three, shot four over. He did manage to go one under. He grinded through, though. I thought a lot of the guys who were plus two, plus three, plus four, uh, still Justin Sue, those kind of guys, uh, Ryan Fox, uh, Fleetwood, Wu Lee, um, uh, Halton, uh, or Hatton, excuse me. Uh, they they all kind of grinded. I thought Jordan Spieth, you know, and, and Matsuyama, even after round three, um, you know, they just showed a lot of poise and a lot of grinding, and I give them a lot of credit for it. Uh, but it just wasn't their days, and that's golf. That's how it's going to go. But in the end, Brooks Kepka wins it, an assassin, an all-time great, unbelievable performance, now five majors in his career. And, of course, the big story, the guy who won the tournament without winning the tournament, Michael Block. And I hope we hear from him for years to come. Mike Lindsley with you here. It's an ML Sports Platter. Look back at the PGA Championship. Thanks for listening here 
I can't thank you enough. Download, subscribe, rate, review, man. Oak Hill is something special. You can hit me on Twitter, at Mike L Sports, and, of course, get me on YouTube, Mike Lindsley 7060 Subscribe to the channel, like all the videos, as we are brought to you by our awesome friends over at the Allen Angus Pub, the Vince Aguera Consulting Group, Ken's Auto Detailing, Rosie's Corner, and Jam and Beats. Hey, if you need a DJ and you're in and around Central New York, get on over to Jam and Beats right now. Their DJs are great. Jamie and his team are doing an amazing job, whether it's a birthday party, a private party, your wedding, whatever the case may be, cnyjb.com. That's cnyjb.com. Jam and Beats is the official DJ service of the ML Sports Platter, and you can get them on Facebook and Instagram as well. As I always tell you, enjoy the games. Before sunrise, Burn Dairy and Deli is preparing to fuel your day with hot coffee, donuts, muffins, breakfast sandwiches, and other morning staples. For lunch, grab a giant deli sandwich made the way you like it. Pizza, wings, wraps, or a fresh salad. Plus, something to wash it down. Then pick up dinner or a sweet treat and other pantry essentials. Now you can get your Burn Dairy and Deli favorites delivered with DoorDash. All day, every day, you can count on Burn Burn Dairy and Deli. It's all good. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.